Um, oftentimes, I think uh, the most repeated and maybe even the most used words can become the most misunderstood because they're the most assumed. You know what I mean? Like meaning, um, amen. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Have you ever paused to wonder why you say that? What it means? Maybe for those of us who know what it means, because amen means what? So be it. Have you ever prayed prayers prior to you really knowing that? I know I have. I said amen all the time growing up in my life, and then it just took, why do we say amen? But the point being is like, because we can use words so much that we assume we know what it means. And like the word God, everyone in Hawaii, I feel like a lot of people in Hawaii talk about God. Oh, you believe Keoko? Oh, yeah, because God, God Almighty. And everyone's God is God and God is God. And, 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 and we could talk, we could use the word so much and assume that we understand what that word is. But then, like the word gospel, it's so used that you would just think that that's, that's duck soup. Everybody knows gospel. But you know what's interesting? It's until someone asks you the question that you start to really realize, maybe I don't know much about this word as I thought I did. You know, like someone actually finally says, you know, hey, how do you get saved? What is the gospel? And, you're, you know, you just, it's, you know, it's the gospel. It's good news. Like it's, let's go eat, you know. Like, and, and, but, but it's true. Like a lot of us, I think we've been in those awkward situations. And, and, and I think what I love about tonight's episode is Paul is such a great discipler because he does never assume. And I think one of the words that I think is most used and abused and maybe even misunderstood is the word discipleship or disciple. Like, what is a disciple? You know, like, and, and defining that, is it that important? I mean, it's, it's very important in the scripture. But, like, disciple might mean a lot of different things to us in the room right now. What is it? Does it is discipleship mean to, you know, I sign up for a, a DTS program over summer and I go and I get discipled? Does it mean I take a class? Does it mean I, I read a book? Is, is discipleship for the, um, the super mature believer? You know, I'm a Christian, but uh, discipleship, woohoo, that's a little heavy. You, you know, like, like, what is it? Well, let's define it with Scripture. I promise we'll get to the text, but let me... Let's, 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 let's read some verses. What is a disciple? Because this episode is Paul interacting with disciples. And if you see the title, he doesn't assume. Don't assume you're saved. Don't assume you're a disciple. Be assured, Christian. Be assured. But in you know, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, it reads like this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him... We're defining what is a disciple. I'm going to use just one text to define it. They saw him. A disciple is a witness. They see, they've seen Christ, and they worshiped him. A disciple is a witness. A disciple is a worshiper. And then it says some doubted. A disciple is someone's in process. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, you disciples, and what? Make disciples. A disciple is a disciple maker as well. Have you ever thought about it? 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm so blessed that Trevor then decided to sing those songs tonight of the Trinity. A disciple is a believer, is a baptized believer in the name of Jesus. Now that phrase in and of itself has so much depth and meaning. But a disciple, his identity, her identity is truly rooted and grounded in the name of Jesus. They know they are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Teaching them. A disciple is a student, a learner. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. A disciple is a lover of the word. He's a student of the word. And Lord, I'm with you always to the very end. A disciple is walking with Christ. You know, in Acts 11, verse 26, it says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. To be a disciple is to be Christian. See, terms, definitions, in our time and age and generation, Brother Morris sent me an, art an article speaking to the biblical illiteracy of believers in the West in the church. It's not, it's so crucial and important that we define these things right. And we study them well, not to be big-brained and intellectual. No, because it's life and death. It's God. It's real. It's everything. To know that you are a disciple. To know that you are a Christian. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with churched people who are, are fearfully confused about where they stand with God. They're uncertain. They're not sure. They say things like, I'm kind of Christian. I hope I'm saved. I think I'm there. And then there's people who are so confident, and yet when you ask them to articulate, share with me your testimony, brother, sister, nothing of Christ comes up. It's more so like a, you know, there's this, this neighbor who loved me unconditionally, and I went to this church, and they were free food, and it was so great, and I signed up and went to this camp, and then this, and then all of a sudden they're on missions already, and there's like, it's just been, the, my life is just so different now. And in those moments, I'm wondering, have you received the Holy Spirit? You know, Luke doesn't give us the details of the conversation that Paul had with the disciples. But as we get into it, I want us to see something. That in that interaction of time, we don't know how long they, they hung out. We don't know how long it took for him to discover these 12 but he interacted and rubbed shoulders with them enough to know Luke and him knew that they were disciples of a sort. But he was burning to ask the question, do you have the Holy Spirit? There's a few things I want to do as we go through the text. The first thing is to ask ourselves the question Paul is asking these guys. Have you really received the Holy Spirit? Like, are you really born again? And we're going to look at Scripture to test ourselves, examine ourselves. Like, really, really be with us tonight. Like, ponder that question. Is this real or not? And then the next thing I want us to do is be warned and not assume, not assume that we are disciples, but to be assured, assured certain, confident, 
guarantee. Local people, guarantee, right? No doubt. That's where you want to be. I do not believe that God gave us such a massive book for us to guess if we're his children. I don't think I want parents. We don't want none of our children. We don't want to show up to pick them up at school or the playground or the beach and then to come and be like, I think that's mom and dad. Son, come, 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 Blue. Do I even know you? You know, like, I, I don't want that. I don't want my son, I don't want my daughter to be confused about who their parents are, who their family is. So it is, I believe, with God. And we're going to get into Scripture. I'm really excited because uh, there's a lot, I think, that the, the Apostle Paul speaks on to this note. But that's what we're going to do. Don't assume. We're, we want to leave with assurance tonight. And if you're in the house and if you're listening and the Spirit of God is hitting your heart and you honestly, honestly, be, be honest, if you are afraid, you're uncertain, you're unsure, oh, please, know that you can have blessed assurance. And I pray that you wouldn't leave here without it. And for those of us who are sure, I pray that you'd be more rooted and grounded, so certain and so sure that you, like Paul, can go and lovingly ask penetrating questions to our friends. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Let's get into it. Verse 1. So it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, okay, we remember Apollos, right? The young gifted preacher from last week. He was preaching in Ephesus. God brought that awesome couple, right? Priscilla and Aquila. And he was preaching accurately, fervently. And then they're like, you know what? We just help you a little bit with your theology. Come on, come on, come on. They brought him to the side. They broke it down. And then he sent him on away. That guy, Luke is saying, now while that guy, Apollos, that servant, was at Corinth. So he left. We saw that last week. He left. And he was now at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. Before we move on to the big meat of the, of the time tonight, let's just look at this a little bit. Why is Luke bringing up these two guys again? Why does Paul bring up these two guys in his letters? I just think it's a really, I think Luke is giving us some 35,000 foot observation right now. He's like up in the sky, he's looking down, and he's trying to help us see. Look at God orchestrating these servants, you know, like Apollos was here, and then, you know, he brings them there, and then oh, just so happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul's coming back to Ephesus. Remember, Paul came through Ephesus, and he's like, hey, if the Lord wills, I'll be back. So he's kind of giving us this 35,000 view look. It's like, what do we do with that? Why does Luke put those details in? What's the point? Is this just random facts? Is just Luke a doctor being very detailed? I think yes, but I also think there's something to learn from it. Luke is, I think, I believe that God is trying to show us that this whole ministry, this whole plan to save and redeem the world and spread the word, it's a, this whole thing of discipleship. Because that's what Apollos and Paul are giving their lives to, making disciples, preaching the word. It's a team effort. I, I, I would love for us to touch on the stones that Luke has been kind of bringing out in the stories, like, all the various people that are being used in discipleship, right? Like Apollos, Paul came, Ephesus, he left the couple, the tent-making, his co-workers, and then he brings this other guy, and then who teaches Apollos? These unschooled, this unschooled couple. And then Apollos keeps teaching, he moves, and then who comes into town now? Paul. It's, it's like there, there, there's two various different ministers or saints serving in the same city at different times, but they're all being used. Remember Paul's letter 
I'll give you the verse. It's in 1 Corinthians. I don't want to misquote. Um, he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, oh, so this, he's talking about the dispute. He's saying, you know, me and Paul have been coming through these towns, and now all of a sudden people are talking like, oh, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. No, I follow Kephas, who's Peter. And then the other is like, I follow Christ. And then Paul says, is Christ divided? Are, these, are all these different churches separate little teams? And are they all split up and divided? And they're all competing with each other? See, Luke is trying to paint a picture 35,000 feet up and saying, no, God's moving everyone in different places at different times, and they're all one. They're all on the same team. That's dope. That's so cool. That fires me up when I drive by another church that's preaching the gospel because my brothers and sisters are hitting it there. That's great. Later in his letter to Corinth in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, okay, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, listen in, are one. One team. Apollos, Paul, hitting the same territory different times, some planting, some watering. I don't think Paul caught wind of Apollos down there and felt threatened by the dude's ministry. He was stoked, perhaps, I believe. He's endorsing him in his letters. Just see that. Just before we move on, just just understand, friends, brothers, sisters, we are one. And I think one of the beauties that Luke is trying to bring out about the diversity of the churches, we're all called to teach and admonish each other. It's not just a figure like Paul that's being used to spread the word. I mean, uh, one of the sisters earlier in observation time brought up the whole idea, well, how did these, disciples, these 12 disciples be disciples? Did John come all the way down to do the teaching? God's using other people to spread his word. It's so beautiful. This, this teaminess, the togetherness, the corporateness of the church. Please realize how incredibly awesome that is. It's so great. It's so great. I was um, sitting at a coffee shop today because of can, and it was a, I was enjoying it and reading, and I saw some other believers there just reading the Bible, and I was just, they're just so, so stoked. Just walk over, and yeah, I like that book. Yeah, we do too. And I was like, oh, where do you guys fellowship? I was like, pray for you guys. Boom. We just pray. It's just, it's just it's an amazing thing. This is so much bigger than us. And I think little observations and notes like this, I think Luke wants us to see that God, our sovereign God, He's the, Jesus is the captain, and he's sending his servants here and there. But remember, we're all on the same team. And I just love that these Ephesians are getting exposed to all sorts of believers, all sorts of disciple makers. They're being discipled by Paul. They're being discipled by Apollos. They're being discipled by Priscilla. They're being discipled by Aquila. Young, old. Schooled, unschooled. Do you have such a diversity in your discipleship? Or do you just only listen to peers? Or only listen to pastor figures? Do you not realize the, the, the depth of discipleship you could have in a church family because there's all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds in all sorts of stages in life? I have been discipled so much by the various believers in our church. I'm discipled by the 
these two tonight, just in their praise. Oh, how discipled I was to see them singing loud and proud to the King of Kings. I'm so discipled by, you know, um, grandmas and grandpas like Dolly who make her way to gather amidst being able to barely take a step. Like these things are so discipling. But I think Luke is really trying to help us see the togetherness, the teaminess, the, the diversity of discipleship in the local church. This is why I do believe church membership is a beautiful thing. Okay, let's get to verse 2. We're going to read a little bit more. We'll read to the end. So he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, what you baptized? And he said to John's baptism. Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after, and that he's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. And there was about 12 men in all. Let's go little by little. And I love that Paul just asked him, asked him straight away, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? The indwelling of the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit we know is God. In other ways, you, you, you can almost reword his questions like, are you saved? Are you, I, I just, I love that he asked the question. I love that he asked straight up. And remember, we don't have the details, but Paul apparently interacted enough to come to a conclusion like, I need to ask this question. Why was Apollos not asked this question? Why was Apollos not baptized? Because it said earlier, because see, they have their similarities. I think Luke is trying to paint with Apollos and the 12. They're familiar with the baptism of John, but there's big differences, I think, from Apollos to these 12. If you read carefully, you read closely, Apollos spoke accurately of the Lord Jesus Christ. These 12, there's no mention of that. Apollos spoke fervent in spirit. When you actually look in the Greek, it's of spirit. There was the Spirit of God at work within him, within him when he spoke. But he just needed to understand a little bit more accurately, a little bit more adequately, and God brought Priscilla and Aquila to do that. These 12, all we know is they're devout, they're, they've, they believe in the one true God, and they believe that there's a Messiah and there's a Christ, and perhaps they might even know the name is Jesus through John's preaching, if they even heard it straight from John or just other disciples. But we know this, that they, they don't know the Holy Spirit. So, I would argue that these guys are not born again. They're almost there. But I love that Paul's question teaches us, please don't assume. That's key. Paul could have been, oh, John, you guys heard of John? Right on, where you guys go? John Baptist Church. Okay, brother. You know, he could have just left it at that, right? We do that a lot. We interact with people and they share with us their, their spiritual background and they just say Jesus in there. And, and that might be good enough for you, you know? I was talking to two ladies at the park the other day by my house and they, they were just so encouraged that I had my Bible and they said, we love Jesus. I was like, really? 
what, tell me, tell me about it. And, you know, come to find, we believe in two very different Jesuses. Very different Jesuses. <laughs> Zeus is like, what's that, Jehovah? <laughs> no, they were LDS people. But, you know, and, and, and I think, um, but, you know, that's why. We must not just assume. Don't assume. Just because you use the same language. Just because you use the same terms. You know, when people share with you their testimony, and those of us who have assurance in Christ, we know the Holy Spirit, and you listen to the story they tell, and there's no mention of Christ, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe there is mention of the Holy Spirit, but not the Spirit you know. Not the Spirit you see in Scripture. Paul is so loving and so pastorly to, to take the time and ask, and ask a penetrating spiritual question. Do you know the Holy Spirit? And so, he says, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Now, you got to love this about these disciples, right? Local people would be like, oh, I never know. <laughs> oh, I never know I had one spirit. But these disciples could have been, oh, yeah, yeah. Holy Spirit, of, of course, of course, of course you know the Holy Spirit. Do you, brother, sister, are you comfortable to say, I don't know? Like, are you comfortable to just be like, you know, I really don't know? That is one commendable trait, I think, about these disciples that I love Luke mentions. I, I want to give you some highlights, some disciple glory moments, some unnamed. Matthew 5, 1, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, disciples came up. That's such a glory moment for a disciple. The crowds leave. The disciples see him. They go up the mountain, and they sit down. They want to learn more. Luke 11, 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he was, I was going to say Paul, when he was finished, one of the disciples kept saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to do what you're doing. See, disciples, real disciples really want to be discipled, and I think that these 12 are so that. They're so comfortable to say, I've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. If you are truly a disciple and a disciple of Christ, if I believe the Spirit's at work in us, there is this sense of hunger. Like, and I just pause to ask and reflect together. Like, Guys, do we want to know Christ? And if there are things about him in this book that we do not know yet and have yet to taste and see, are you wanting it? We've, we're in chapter 19 now through this book. At any moment in this study, have you ever just been struck enough to pause and be like, I want that. What I'm reading and what I'm learning and understanding, I don't have that. I don't live like that. How are they like this? What's happening? Do you want that disciple? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom. These disciples are hearing a question and they're, they're hearing about things that they are foreign to. And it's, they don't leave. They don't say, I know already. They stay and listen. It's just so commendable. And I pray that we would never lose such a heart. Proverbs 9, 9 says this, instruct the wise and they will be wiser. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. I love I love when God cultivates in our church a, 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 a community that is eager to learn. 
Like I love that we love to, I love getting the Bible questions. And, you know, I love sitting in on conversations and people are asking about certain things and wrestling with certain scriptures and thought that's so awesome. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another. Just a great picture. Just quickly before I keep going, do you love learning? Do you love learning about God? Then you will love the Bible. And when you lack understanding, you will have no shame to show it. No shame. Don't lose such a heart. So then he says, okay, so into, into what were you baptized then? And then he says, John's baptism. Okay, so let's, let's understand this a little bit. Um, Brother John gave us one passage in Matthew last week, so I'm going to give you some others. Let's just understand what is this John's baptism, okay? Mark 1, verse 4 through 8. Let me read it to you. You can write it down and look it up. Mark 1, verse 4 through 8. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Metanoia, change your mind. It's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All right? And then it says, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Maybe these 12 were there. Maybe these are, maybe, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. We won't talk about his apparel. Um, and ate locusts and wild honey. Just paint the picture and be entertained. Verse 7. And he preached saying, after me comes one who's mightier than I. After me. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see that? So John's ministry, it's that last of the Old Testament prophets. He's pointing. After me, someone mightier. After me, Holy Spirit, the legit. So John's ministry is a preparation ministry. It's like, hey, wake up. Repent. King is coming. Behold the Lamb of God. He's pointing. He's pointing. Uh, let me give you some previous sermons by Peter. Acts chapter 10. Listen to this sermon clip. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John was proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. You see where Peter brings specificity there? He's defining. He's going more clearly explicit who with the Holy Spirit and with power, later down in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, being clear about Jesus as the Christ, it says this, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And they were circumcised believers who had come with Peter. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on these Gentiles, for they began to speak in tongues, praising God. Later in the, the 11th chapter, Peter tries to explain what's happen, what happened at that service when he was speaking. He says, okay, I was beginning to speak, and then the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us from the beginning, back in chapter 2 at Pentecost. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's ways? You see Peter's understanding of the baptism of John. Same thing. It's preparatory. But he realized when he was speaking the full explicit gospel, people were hearing this. 
That there is a way to be saved from sin. And it's not any religion. It's not you being more Jew. It's not you tithing or this or that. There's no work effort. It's actually this man who came and lived perfectly sinlessly. And he did perish on the cross and he bled. And every drop of blood was an atonement payment. And so when he died and was buried and three days later did not stay dead. This is Easter now. He broke free. He rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death. And he ascended and he called everyone, repent, believe in me. You will be saved and I'll give you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'll abide in you and you and me. And, he, and then the Spirit comes down on power and pours out. And these are the people who are hearing that message. And they're being baptized by the Holy Spirit. They're being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is why when Paul is sitting with these 12 and he's interacting with them, he's just like, you're so, you're so, you're almost there. Do you know the Holy Spirit? You never even heard? Okay. John's baptism, what you guys know, or maybe you don't know this of it, it was a baptism of repentance. And he was saying, you need to put your faith in the Christ, and his name is Jesus. And when they finally heard of the death and the resurrection, and the blood, and the empty tomb, and the ascension, and that Jesus is alive. Their hearts were drawn to Christ, and they trusted in him. We don't know what, other, what these disciples were putting their confidence in before. Maybe they were just stoked that they're disciples of John. I don't know. But they did not know the Holy Spirit. They were not saved, friends. And when they had trusted, when they believed, notice in Peter's sermons, he says, when they heard and they believed, boom, Holy Spirit. Paul, in his sermons, Acts chapter 13, says the same stuff. Let me give it to you. Acts 13, 24. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, when he was almost powered with his ministry, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, one after, after me, one is coming, and whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. You see how consistent all these apostles, all their understanding, all our understanding tonight on this is that you need, you need, you need the Holy Spirit to be saved. You need it. They did not have it. So I, I asked the question, which is now I hope a more weightier question. Are you sure you have received the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit from the Holy Scriptures, this Holy Spirit. In accordance with hearing that message, that gospel, Paul says in Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. That's where we get the term indwelling of the spirit. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you do not have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. That's Romans 8, 9. So Paul's question is a weighty question. He's not just asking, oh, you get Holy Spirit. You had some butterflies. You speak tongues. That's not what he's asking. That's not. He's saying, Paul, Romans 8.14, Paul says this. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Do you not, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of, of adoption as sons, and you cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness that you're his child. When Paul asks, do you have the Holy Spirit? He's, in other words, he's asking, do you know you're a child of God? Do you know God as Father? Brother, friends, 
See, that, that, this question is big. It's action-packed. Don't just read it and be like, oh, it's a very interesting question. It's very interesting. So when he says, when Paul's asking about the Spirit, it's critical because he's asking, he's not assuming, he's asking if they're certain they belong to Christ. So we ask ourselves, are you certain? We have a, a sister who's a, fo- uh, a former member of our church. We love this year, and those of you who haven't heard. But her life is going to end any moment now. Cindy, Cindy Shira, she had a stroke there in Texas. We're praying for them. You know, and she's such a beloved sister. And you know, their whole family right now is talking to some of them. And there's just so much peace in that room right now. That any moment now, it's done. It's gone. She breathes her last, and they know this. She's in Christ. She has the Spirit. She enters into glory. She's done here. She has that certainty. Oh, are you certain tonight? Do you know you're a child of God? In John 14, 17, it says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. Are you certain, are you sure that you have the Spirit of God alive in you? Not emotionalism. Not intellectualism just because you can quote some scripture. Satan can do that. The Pharisees can do that better than any of us here. Do you have the Spirit of the living God abiding in you? That's what Paul is asking. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now it's evident that the one who is justified before God by the law um, for the righteous shall live by faith. See, when Paul's asking about the Spirit, it's critical because he's asking if they know they're made right with God by faith, not by works, by faith. Do you know this? This is what it, these are the things that someone who has the Holy Spirit, they just, their soul says yes and amen to. Let me give you another verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. So we, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, for in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Hear it. Oh, it's so good. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. See, Paul's question is a question of, are you sealed? When he says, do you know, have you received the, are you sealed, Christian? Do you know that you are purchased and you're guaranteed. Oh, that's such a rich truth to know. You, you want to have this. We want to have this. You want to receive that spirit, his spirit, the Holy Spirit. So we come back to the question, how do we test this? How do we know? These are fruits and evidences of the spirit. But how do you know the spirit is really at work in you? And yes, sure, it might overflow in various spiritual gifts. But not every believer would have the gift of tongues. 
I know many brothers and sisters. I know many church people who are very talented. But I would call to question if they have received the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting about Paul's letter to Corinth, the, the two letters. He begins the letters by saying in 1-7, you, you don't lack in any spiritual gift. You're a very gifted church. At the very end of the second letter in chapter 13, he says, you better examine yourself to see if Christ is even in you. Like, what? That's crazy to me. So let's not assume, let's not be deceived, let's not think that just because we're gifted, just because we can sing good, just because we're talented, just because we do a lot of ministry, just because we're a disciple of this person or that person, or you listen to this podcast, or you love that ministry or that pastor, you're of this camp or that camp, none of those things will answer the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? So we finish with this question. So how do we know? Well, first of all, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Let's answer it with Scripture. Let's turn to this one for the close. Go to John chapter 16. We're just going to finish home right now and ponder deeply the question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And how do you know that? And we're going to use this text to assess, to examine, to see. So for you to see tonight, if the Spirit of God is really at work within you. It says this. John chapter 16, verse 7 to 14. We're going to do this to close. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, will not come to you. This is the Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now here's the work of the Spirit, guys. Here's the role of the Holy Spirit. And if you see these works and these evidences in your life, then you can be assured the Spirit of God is at work in you. When he comes, he will convict the world. Three things. Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see what he's doing? What is the Spirit doing? He's convicting. He's cutting. Do you know, have you been convicted of sin? We are all sinners. The wages of sin is death. That's why everyone drops dead. There's a, there's a, a huge problem with mankind. We're broken. We're tarnished. We're messed up. The question is, are you convicted of this? When you hear that you're a rebel against the King of kings and Lord of lords, does anything happen there? Is there any prick? Pentecost, right? Peter preached. They were cut to the quick. What must we do to be saved? Are you convicted of sin? That's the place to start right there. If you are in sin this evening, secret sin, most of them are, and you're living in it, conscious free, you'll play the game, you'll act a certain way here, and once you're out of here, it's back to whatever it is you do, whatever it is you look at, whatever it is you entertain yourself with. And that, honestly, is your heart. You love your sin. If it was legal, you'd love it. Then I beg, repent. The wages of sin is death. That's serious. Are you convicted of your sin? That's the work of the Spirit and righteousness. 
See, when you're truly convicted of your sin, you want to know how to make this right. How does this go away? You're angry with me, God. How do you not be angry with me anymore? There's a hunger now for it. If that's you, if that's us, you want to know how to be made right with God. The Spirit of God is at work. And judgment. There is a judgment day coming. We're so shy to tell the world of this. Why? That's the most loving thing we can do, is preach on the judgment of God and the glory of the salvation through it that comes in Jesus. Our story is not bad. It's good because it starts bad and ends good. Bad news, we're sinners. That's true. Good news. Oh, there's a righteousness of God in Jesus. It's so good. It's so rich. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. The Spirit of God, if he's at work in you, these things. It's why you want the preacher, whoever it is up here on Wednesday, to preach the Bible. Don't tell me your opinions and your stories. Tell me scripture. Tell me how to get saved and how to save my family. The Spirit of God works in us to be convicted of and being concerned with these things. And he reads on. He says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will, be, uh, you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, disciples, but you can't bear them now. Verse 13, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Oh, you love that. Are you having an increasing hunger and comprehension of your book? Is the Bible that you sits on your lap, is it becoming more and more just addicting? It's because the Spirit of God's at work in you, or is he not? That's a question. The work of the business of the Spirit is to guide us into all truth. It's to make us real disciples, students of the Scriptures. We love this stuff. You don't have to order me to go to my room and read my Bible. It's like, please, send me there. The Spirit of God's guiding us, making sense of these things. He's here present with us now. Wednesdays, Sundays, any other days at your small groups. You want to know if the Spirit's at work in you? He's guiding you into truth. You're loving the Scriptures. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. Oh, if the Spirit of God's at work in you, all glory be to Christ. The work of the Spirit is to glorify God, to glorify Christ, to lift up the name above all names. Guys, test yourself. Examine yourself. Is this you? You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This, Christianity, is not something we try to do and muster up. It's who we are. Examine yourself. Let the question haunt you this week. Have you received the Holy Spirit? This one. Okay. I have like a bunch of more verses, but I think that's good. <laughs> hey, the Spirit's at work in you guys. I saw a bunch of heads like... <laughs> 
<laughs> What's the verses? Come, I'll give you the verses after. But, but, but I do think it was sufficient. And, and I just want to pray in closing, like really, let the question press in. This is not something you want to just be shaky on. And you want to be able to be confident and certain and growing in it enough, guys, so we can go and help others. There are churches filled with church attenders. There are members perhaps in our church who truly have not received the Spirit. They may not be born again. Does that bother us? We've covenanted together to look after each other's souls. It's not merely the job of a pastor. We're to do this together. Remember the first point? There's a teaminess about this. It's a togetherness. We want to be so concerned where we would have those penetrating questions with people like, hey, like, have you received the Spirit? Or, you know, you don't have to quote it exactly like that, but are you sure you know Jesus? I mean, like, you know, you say this, and we got to help each other. The time is short. Your confidence, your assurance, your certainty, don't assume it. Be assured in spirit and truth. The gospel of Christ, be clear on it. Be clear on it. Understand how it works. And believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. And you'll be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we all confess that we... lack, perhaps, the knowledge and the understanding and even the experience of you. But with that, we want to come humbly and hungry like these disciples and say, I've never heard these things. I've never really wrapped my mind around them. I've never really considered them deeply. Oh, but I want to know. I want to know that I know that Christ is risen and that he's my Savior. And when I breathe my last, I will be with him. And I want to know how to help others, Lord. I want to get involved in this ministry of reconciliation. So do it now. Do it in this place. Spirit of God, pour yourself upon us and allow all these works, all these evidences of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, you said a tree is known by its fruit. So is the fruit of the Spirit of God evident in us? We all struggle. We all stumble. We're not quite there yet. And we're so blessed to see apparently there's a process. These disciples were in process, and they needed the help of brothers like Paul, brothers like Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila to come alongside. So would you do that now in our church? That brothers and sisters, old and young, mature and mature, everything in between would come alongside together, and as a church would march forward and help each other grow and be discipled into an assurance of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.